Hello and welcome. You are listening to the Gay With God podcast, a safe place for us to share our stories and support one another. How long did we know? What challenges did we face? Did we lose our faith? When did we find our way back home? Or are we still searching? The stories you hear on this podcast will melt your heart and strengthen your belief that in God, all things are possible and you can be authentically gay with the God of your understanding. I'm your host, Midge Noble, and I am very honored that you are here. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Gay With God podcast. As always, I love your comments, and I love seeing that you're subscribing and sharing and reviewing the podcast wherever you download them. It's so critical to be able to give ourselves some visibility on this topic, so please continue to do that, and I I now welcome that always. Today, I have a wonderful guest to share with you. Dr. Charlie Bell is in the Gay With God house. He is a fellow director of studies, a college officer. He specializes in John Mark's official fellow in medicine and pre-elector. Dr. Bell undertook a PhD investigating the immunogenetic mechanisms responsible for the development of type 1 diabetes with Professor John Todd in the Cambridge Institute for Medical Research, with involvement in clinical trials in deriving in vivo and in vitro laboratory studies. He was previously an exchange scholar at Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City, characterizing the role of the immune system in melanoma. Dr. Bell's clinical training is in psychiatry, with research interests primarily related to personality disorders and their interaction with forensic services from a biological perspective. His research is based at the Institute of Psychiatry, Psychology, and Neuroscience at King's College, London. He is currently undertaking work to determine biomarkers of psychopathy with a view to stratifying patients and developing novel treatment approaches. Currently, Dr. Bell is a college lecturer in medicine and teaches biochemistry to first-year undergraduates. He is the director of studies for pre-medical medicine, pre, I'm sorry, preclinical medicine, first and second year. Dr. Bell previously supervised biochemistry, human reproduction, and physiology to medical students and biological natural scientists. Outside of medicine, Dr. Bell is a deacon in the Church of England and has published In the Field of Theology, a book that is already out in the UK on psychology, sexuality, and theology named Queer Holiness, and it will be released in the United States November 30th. He is a research fellow and associate tutor at St. Augustine's College, West Malling, and assistant curate St. John the Divine Kennington, a board member affirming Catholicism, and also a liveryman of the City of London. We are so lucky to have him because this man is busy, busy, busy. <laughs> so, Dr. Bell, and I've been given permission to call him Charlie, welcome to the Gay With God podcast, and thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be with you. Yeah. So I want to just jump right in. I know that your schedule is packed, and I don't want to interfere with all the things you're doing, but... We just can't wait. Tell us your story. Yeah, sure. So um, so I find myself in quite a kind of strange place, really. Is it? Um, mm. So as you said, I was ordained in the Church of England two years ago. Um, well, a year and a half ago now. Um, and uh, I was I was then ordained priest this year um, in the summer. So it's it's been a kind of busy uh, mm-hmm. couple of years. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we're finding a Church of England um part of the Anglican Church, um, this, so this sort of equivalent of the Episcopal Church. We're in we're in a very different place, though, to the Episcopal Church in the United States. Yes. So we're really making our decisions. 
um, big time, yeah, big time. Yeah, and, yeah. And, we're making, and we're making our decisions at the moment about sort of what we do about about questions about sexuality and gender and so on mm-hmm. um, in a way which is, you know, in, in many ways, years behind wider society. So it's an, a very interesting and unusual place, I think, um, to yeah. find ourselves. Yeah. And even in the States, even though the Episcopal Church in the big picture celebrates our divinity in the gay community and we can be priests and bishops and all that. But the Methodist Church in the United States mm-hmm. and, and globally is having the same discussions that you guys are having. And it's not going yeah. well for some of the churches here as well. So that's just so disheartening. You know, and I know that at the yeah. Lambeth Conference, um, yeah, that was a big <laughs> That was a big to do. Yeah. 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 And I think people were sort of surprised by the Lambeth Conference, yeah. whereas from a sort of English perspective, it wasn't that much of a surprise at all because oh. we've been. So we hear a lot about um, the conference as being a reason for for there being no possibility of change in the way that the English church, the mm-hmm. Church of England thinks about things. Mm-hmm. So um, but it was wonderful to have. Uh, members of the Episcopal Church with us um, who were then saying um, how sort of how you know they were they were talking about you know um, sexual minorities they were talking about queer folk in a way which was just the same as talking about straight folk and it was it was a very interesting way of of listening to that kind Mm -hmm. of discussion which simply isn't the way that we've been doing things in the UK so Uh, or certainly in England uh so it was a really warming experience for many of us to hear it really wonderful wonderful yeah when i knew that our our bishops um sam and ann and and bishop curry were heading over there it's like uh oh <laughs> i'd never heard of the lambeth conference yeah. but this yeah. is a big deal our guys are going <laughs> yeah yeah no exactly exactly so brilliant so, really yeah. I'm, I'm just yeah. so glad that they were able to go all right so so how does this all filter out for you i mean especially since you're now in, you know you're ordained and you're a priest and how is that going to work for you long term and and then we also want to take your of course coming out journey but wherever you want to start with that is fine with me yeah sure so i mean so one of the funny things or and and, and sort of the very bad things really about the position of the church of england is that that whilst we tolerate um uh, gay lesbian bisexual clergy um we that's about as far as it goes so um we are uh, very strongly encouraged and i well in fact we are required um to take a vow of celibacy uh and we are required to agree to all kinds of um intrusive questioning into our lives which is simply not the case for people who are not lesbian gay and bisexual and it's something that's not really understood or recognized i think outside of the church and People deal with that in a variety of different ways. We know that different dioceses have different bishops who are particularly uh, more relaxed on this or less relaxed on this. And and these are some of the things which currently people are just fed up with, really, um, Mm -hmm. as we're moving forward, because what it's it's just asking you to live a life which is which is less full than otherwise it would be. Mm -hmm. And that's exhausting. It's exhausting to to walk on that line of of being accepted on or tolerated, I guess, and, and then not, and to have all those intrusive questions. Oh my goodness. That's just crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, you're doing the the day job, you know, you're, you're, you know, be, you know, you're burying people, you're burying people, you're mm-hmm. saying the weekly services, you're doing all of these things, just the same as anybody else, but you're also facing intrusion in a way which other people just simply aren't. Right. So it's, it's a big, it's a big issue, I think. And uh-huh. I mean, we all reconcile it in different ways. We all work our way around engaging with the church in different ways. Um, 
I, I benefit because my, as, as you said at the beginning, I have another job. So I, I work as a psychiatrist day, day by day. Okay. And so my being kind of brutal about it, my salary comes away. It doesn't come from the church. My house doesn't belong to the church. Okay. Um, and so, you know, you have a level of freedom uh, in terms of your own personal circumstances, whereas there are clergy who yeah. whose entire living comes from the church and their retirement, of course. And that's Ooh. challenging. When, oh. when you have rules put in place. Yes. Yeah. I was talking to um, Reverend Nancy Petty the other day and, and she was talking, we talked about how being out and, and having your livelihood affected if, if people find out and that she, she lived the double life for many years because that's what her only job was. And she could not be out in the church. And so yeah. she, it was exhausting, she said, and it is exhausting for us to pretend yeah you know, in the community that we're whatever you think we are and we just don't tell you, you know, we did that whole don't ask, don't tell thing with our military, you know, you, but you're still living that life. Yes. Yeah, 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 quite. So one question before yeah. we move on, I just had when you were talking about the the required intrusive questions about your relationship and that vow of celibacy. So how do they, I mean, how do they tell for sure if you're being honest? Of course, I'm sure all clergy are honest and I'm not implying that they're not <laughs> Do they do they yeah, have really yeah, they no don't quite. bug your house do they <laughs> no but they do feel that they can make comments on living arrangements so there, mm. there are people who will say you know who's living with you how are you living are there separate bedrooms is that level of sort of intrusiveness which I mean in any other walk of life would just be yeah. I mean either laughable or just embarrassing really but mm -hmm. but in the church it happens and it it happens through if people are going forward to to become ordained um, if they're married to someone of the same sex or gender, so um, it, it, even in the civil sense, so we can't get married in, in the Church of England here, but you can in a civil marriage or in other churches. So if they are married to someone of the same sex or gender, they cannot be ordained. So you cannot go forward for ministry uh, in the Church of England. Um, so they start those kind of very formal things, but then depending on who's asking the questions, the questions become very intrusive and slightly bizarre, to be honest. Mm. And then once you're ordained as you are, if you were to marry the person that you're in love with, would and they found yeah. out, would you then have they would take away your priesthood? Generally, you'd be able to continue the same job you're working in. But then if you applied for another job at any stage, you would lose your license. So mm. you wouldn't be able to then take on another role. Um, and that's that's the kind of general position of the Church of England at the moment. So you could never become a bishop or go to any other church. No. You would have to stay there unless they fired you there. And then once you're out, you're exactly. out. Wow, buddy. Oh, exactly my goodness. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. And we have one one bishop, I think, who is in a no, known to be or, or openly in a um, in a partnership, in a same sex partnership. Um apart from that. And there are other bishops who are known to be gay, but who have not been open about that. Um, and so we actually end up with this kind of silence that surrounds the, the, mm. the bishops and senior clergy, because it is a bit like the don't ask, don't tell, really. Mm -hmm. It's it's very similar to that. And that was hardly a grand success in the, in the <laughs> context of the military. It's not a no. success in the context of church. Yes, yes. All right. So that's your current state of not having an affair. Mm. <laughs> um, <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> so let's go back. Let's go back and, and talk about you growing up and, and what was it like for you and how did you come into your own? 
Yeah, so um, so I grew up in a very um, average, um, normal sort of uh, Southern English family. Uh, you know, grandparents lived nearby. We sort of went to local schools and things in the first stages. And then as I, uh, when I got to age seven, I went to go and sing for the cathedral. And that was my first real entrance into, into proper church life. Um, and so and stayed with them, then went on to a and to a school after that, a fee paying school, but for which my fees were paid because of my having sung and done music. Um, so I had a sort of very ordinary start and a sort of slightly bizarre um, sort of older childhood, you know, mm-hmm. living in a boarding school and all these kind of things. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, Sussex is Southern England, Sussex of the of the late 1990s was a sort of fairly antiquated place really um it was it was very nice but it was very undiverse um in the main from all different kind of mm-hmm. uh, perspectives very undiverse in terms of ethnicity um there was uh, I, I there was brighton which was which is the sort of um known to be the gay capital of certainly the south of england and was a very sort of but that was it, Brighton. There was sort of Sussex and there was Brighton. Um, <laughs> and and in many ways, sexuality was barely spoken about um, when I was young. And in fact, I was just thinking the other day, the one thing, the one sort of unusual thing that was talked about when I was young was people who were divorced. Uh, and it was even at that, even in the late 90s, you know, the idea of divorce was considered to be something really quite, not necessarily judged, but just something quite remarkable that that someone would be divorced. So okay. um, that was the kind of upbringing that, that I came into, not particularly conservative in a deliberate way, but just mm-hmm. in the way that, that Southern England was. So when did you know that you were not like all the other boys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it must have been... <laughs> I mean, it must have been uh, probably about 13 or 14. Okay. You know, so we changed school um, uh, or I changed school. Different schools change at different times, but I changed school aged 13. So okay. I finished my junior school and then and moved into senior school at 13. And at that stage, you're beginning to have inklings and you sort of um, and, you know, you do the usual things. I don't think I ever had a sort of I don't think I ever had a major religious concern, to be honest. I, I, I the, the the kind of. The cathedral that I was singing in was probably fairly conservative, but was never we never heard sermons about this kind of thing. Mm. Um, and um, and the sort of social environment in which I was living was very sort of, um, uh, you know, normal about, uh, you know, there, there was that it just I suppose in many ways it just wasn't talked about. But there was mm-hmm. never a kind of aggressive anti um, mm. uh, LGBT rhetoric. Mm-hmm. Um, but so I, but I suppose at school um, was where it started. Uh, to become more obvious to me mm-hmm. um, and then I suppose also um, school was the first time that I heard um, anti-gay preaching oh. uh, and for me I suppose I was old enough by that stage to just think it was all faintly silly um, it didn't it didn't it didn't worry me particularly but I just remember thinking gosh that and that in a sense probably made me feel even more confident in who I was because I thought this is nonsense mm-hmm. um, so that's and that's kind of and from then on it was you know I don't think I've really looked back in many ways it was it was kind of obvious to me from that stage that, mm-hmm. that that's what was going on and and yeah and and 
yeah, I suppose that's how these things end up, don't they? <laughs> sometimes, sometimes. Yeah. And, and so did your family not have a problem with it? No, I mean, there was sort of um, sort of niggling doubts initially about whether this was a good thing or a, a, a bad thing. Um, uh, you know, more concerns about what the future might look like. Um, you mm-hmm. know, this was still an era where, um, so when I was, I suppose, I must have been about that age section 28 in the uk the the um which was legislation to prevent the open talking about homosexuality in schools in 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 england in educational settings mm. um that that was still in force it was only repealed i think in in around the early 2000s so um actually society more generally and we we didn't have um same sex uh marriage well we said we didn't have marriage until much later until the 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 um beginning to mid um 2010s but um we didn't have civil partnerships until um the mid 2000s so actually the world was different i think and mm-hmm. i think it was more about how is this going to impact you rather mm-hmm. than this being an issue or a problem uh-huh so you would not be excommunicated from your family they just had real life no. concerns about your future and what will yeah. you do with yourself how will you, how will you live yeah exactly <laughs> we're exactly. not going to board and, you, know, you forever got... son <laughs> <laughs> yeah quite exactly exactly so and you know i've got three younger sisters so i think the grandchildren issue was less less of a problem <laughs> um which is which is always a good thing I was just going to say that in the in the South, especially and in the, the United States, it's the males that carry on the family name. So we women, it's yeah. nice if we have yeah. children. Thank you so much. But we want the boys named. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 quite. <laughs> carry on the lineage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure. I mean, I think I think I've got male cousins. So at least the name mm. continues there. I Thank think goodness. Okay. <laughs> So you you looked out all the way around. <laughs> you, yeah, you know. no, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. So so that your family was was concerned, but on board. Have you had any fallout uh, being openly gay uh, in in any of your employment or in relationships in general? People that d- just needed to walk away from you. I mean, only in church. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that's a terrible thing, really. Isn't um, it? <laughs> I mean, it's it does say a lot about our church culture. I mean, so I would so I work for the NHS National Health Service, which is which is entirely on board and has no difficulty or issues whatsoever, um, and in fact is a kind of gender and sexuality champion, um, and and is and it would be um, it would be you you just simply wouldn't survive in the nhs if you had a problem mm-hmm. um it's it's that it's it's there is just no no place for that kind of bigotry really so that yeah. that's been a good a really good employer to work with and in the same in the university so where i work um girton college um is a is was founded as a as a, actually as a women's college um and was admitting um women to degrees before um, that, well, was admitting them to study before they could get degrees from the University of Cambridge, which was incredibly late. Uh, I think it was 1948 that Cambridge that Cambridge um, finally admitted women to degrees. So mm. Girton's this place which has started like that. It's now a mixed college, but puts diversity and inclusion 
as a genuine, it's not just something that it likes to do. It's something that's absolutely at the centre of what it mm-hmm. is as an institution. So mm-hmm. I've been very lucky, I think, although sometimes you choose places because they're the places that have that kind of ethos. But yes, but yeah, yes. I've never had any issue in, in academia and, and, and nor in the NHS. Um, you have the odd patient who uh, who gives you a bit of homophobic abuse, but yeah. um, you get used to that kind of thing. Yes. Um, you know, um, but no, the church is the only place where there's ever been a an issue and where people won't, you know, won't come to the same, won't receive communion at the same service as you or won't speak to you or all these different kind of things. Wow. Which is shocking, really. It is, but, it, you know, that's the way it is here. I mean, that it is just, and I've said this on the podcast before, that I was, I was probably in middle school and I was in the youth group at my mm. church and we had a special teaching one time where they talked about that homosexuality was equivalent to having sex with animals. And I'm yeah. like, yeah. And I had yeah. no idea that I was gay at the time. And mm-hmm. uh, that scared the <laughs> scared yeah, me bad. Because exactly. yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. I can't be that. And then the whole abomination and going to hell and all the verses, you know, I mean, I that's all I knew. Um, so yeah. I couldn't separate yeah because my grandfather was a minister, my uncle was a minister mm-hmm. and you know, it, I was just in the culture of that is the one thing that can send you to hell, you know, blaspheming yeah. God and that you're going to yeah, hell. There's exactly. no ticket back. You can't do anything. You yeah. can't ask for forgiveness. It's done. If you are, you, yeah. you're going. Um, so for those of us who grew up in that kind of culture, there was no way to, to just for me, and and I'm that type of personality anyway. I like to be liked, and I don't want to go to hell. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like. Yeah, 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 quite. <laughs> that was hard to come back from, but um, I'm so grateful that that your your light, your inner light, was strong enough to be able to know that, and that even though the church is so condemning, you were already to the point where you knew yourself, and it didn't have to derail you for what you yeah. wanted to do with your life. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I always wonder what would have happened if mm-hmm. I'd heard some of that kind of talk earlier. Yeah. Earlier, yeah. Um, but whereas for me, I was already developing, I'd already had, I mean, as a chorister in a cathedral um, in the English choral tradition, you're singing services every day. On Sundays, you're singing three times a day. You know, mm-hmm. you're steeped in liturgy you're steeped in 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 the bible you're steeped Mm -hmm. in in worship so and actually in a sense it does mature your faith in Mm -hmm. a way um Mm -hmm. in a way that then when you hear the sort of um this sort of terribly um unhelpful and condemnatory stuff from people Mm -hmm. you're in a place i guess where you can where you can kind of say, well, that doesn't really fit with everything else I've heard. Mm-hmm. Uh, and how do I, so, so I think I'm lucky in that sense. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's, it's very interesting being, being ordained now in a church, which is, which is run by people who, who it, in, in a generational sense have, have grown up in a different world. Mm-hmm. So my university experience, it was perfectly normal for people to be gay. That wasn't a, an issue at all. No one was particularly, well, I mean, no one was particularly bothered. It wasn't even that it was accepted. It was just sort of, I mean, it's just so unimportant that. Yeah. And, but talking to people 10, 15 years older than I am in the same university and the same college and the rest of it, it was a different story. And the problem is that the mm-hmm. church has not recognized how society has changed, not entirely, mm-hmm. but generally. And the way that young people are thinking, it's, it's mm-hmm. hugely different to the way it was. Yes. And I just don't, you know, I've always said that I, I really believe in our 
in where we live, it's more of the fear of aligning with the sinner that was passed down and taught and that you will go to hell too if you agree with the sinner. So it's going to take a monumental shift for people who are stuck in that literalism of the Bible to be yeah. able to to branch out and consider anything different. I was actually at my childhood home this past weekend mm. going through the home. We're having to get rid of things and get ready to sell because my mom has moved out um, mm. and moved in with my sister in her elder years. But um, we were going through all this stuff. And my sister picks up a book and she goes here and she tosses it to me. And she said, I guess this needs to go back to you. And I look at it and it's the book called, is the homosexual your neighbor? And when I came out, I bought many copies and mm. I had a little, little <laughs> to my mama, to you know, mama, this is for you. I hope that you find the enlightenment that you need and that you'll understand the verses that condemn me you know, more fully and yeah. signed it with the little sign of the fish, which was my big thing back then. And um, yeah. I don't think it had ever been cracked open. It, didn't, it looked pretty pristine. Yeah. <laughs> and I was standing there with my brother who years ago, years and years and years ago, we got into this big thing about my sexuality and he had started playing Jesus in the Easter play. And I think he assimilated himself too much. And, yeah. and he yeah. And so then there, then I became a problem to his children and I could no longer be around them. Um, and, mm -hmm. And it took seven years for him to work through that and then want to be in relationship with me again. And I had sent him the book, too. But he said, mm. um, I talked about the book and I said, I'm going to send it to you. And he goes, no, don't, because I don't read propaganda. And I went, um, so do you ever read the little devotionals that they give you at the yeah. church? And he goes, well, of course I do. And I said, do you understand that Jesus didn't write those, that that's people giving commentary on what the verse exactly. says? How is that yeah. different from this? And he goes, I won't read it. So don't send it. Yeah. <laughs> so he was standing yeah. right there when my sister threw me the book and I said, Oh, look, Steve, this is the book of propaganda. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, that did not become. It didn't become a row. It was just kind of yeah, like exactly. a low, low laughter, and then we moved on. <laughs> yeah, 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 quite. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's funny though, isn't it? Because it's it's years of of wasted time. That oh my gosh. Then, and you think, you know, how much time is lost? How much relationship is lost in time when, um, when actually people, and it's just a refusal for people to 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 hear an opposing view, and it's mm -hmm. it's fear, it's. It's mm -hmm. kind of worry. It's all these kind of things that that sit behind so much of it. It's mm -hmm. so sad that people it remain caught up like that. Yeah, it is. Because when that happened, my niece had just been born and she was two months old. And I never got to lay eyes on her until she was like seven or I guess seven. Yeah. Almost eight. And um, and they would send me the weirdest thing is they would send me Christmas photo like you know how you, you make up a card for Christmas, but it's mm. really just photographs and it's mm. electronically signed. And I would get those every year. And it was like, why are you doing that? I mean, that was like torture. I appreciated the effort for them to keep me up on, oh, this is how they're growing up and you can't be a part of it. But just thought you'd like to know <laughs> how they look this year. And I'm like, really? That's not exactly. helpful to me. Yeah, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Quite. Exactly. Quite no, it's so thing. sad. Yeah, it is. It is. But I'm grateful that um, that the patience of just letting it be 
and letting it breathe. And the last thing, the last thing I said to him was when you're ready to love me the way I deserve to be loved, my arms will be open. And until then I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was it. And then he was able to do whatever he never wanted to talk about it. I tried to figure out how he came to the place to, you know, be there one day when I was coming to see mom and he knew I was coming. We always had to like divvy up Christmas days and stuff, but he never wanted to talk about it. So, but we're in relationship now and, um, and I'm grateful, very grateful. So let's talk a little bit about your book and it'll be coming out soon. And I would love to know more about what prompted you to write it and tell more about the book so that people here in the States, when it comes out November 30th, people, November 30th, (laughs) will be able to take advantage of that. Yeah. So it came about because um, I felt that one way that the church hadn't been analyzed was from a kind of psychological perspective or sociological Mm. psychological perspective Mm -hmm. so what the book does is um the first uh, couple of chapters um take on the one thing we often hear is you know so you don't believe the bible then so one of the first things it it tries to do is to say look here's a way of reading the the bible and here also is what we know from human discovery and Mm. science experience but but primarily from from discovery and, and science and saying given that we know this about the world we can either put our fingers in our ears and refuse to you know and then read the bible in a vacuum Mm -hmm. or we can say given that we know all of this stuff how does that how do we sort of interpret the bible given what we know Mm -hmm. it's not to say that you place human experience or science or anything else above the bible but it's saying if you're ignoring them we don't ignore them in everything else we do you know, when we turn the car on, we're not ignoring human experience and we get on the train or whatever. But that, those because actually, if we didn't if, if we didn't just take human science and discovery for granted, the car wouldn't start and the train wouldn't go. So why do we do that when we read the Bible? So, mm-hmm. so that's the first the first bit. The middle section looks at um, churches that have had a and, and particularly the Church of England, but looks more widely at kind of church cultures that have developed where. Um, LGBT folk are told to be quiet um, Mm -hmm. uh, or not to exist or as though they don't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it looks at sort of what happens when that occurs and what a better world might look like. So Mm. um, whether there's a focus on power or vulnerability, inclusion or exclusion, um, uh, openness or erasure and says, what does this do to the individual Christian? What does this do to um, the relationship? within the church and what does this do to the relationship of the church with the world mm-hmm. um and then the final section of the book begins to then draw some of those things out and says well given that we know what we we've, we've looked at here um how might we look at things like marriage or communion or whatever else from an intentionally um queer angle how mm-hmm. what 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 is it that is actually at the center of marriage um, mm-hmm. what and 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 what what how do we then think about marriage what is it that that um the lgbt people can tell us about the eucharist or about communion service what is it that sits you know what how do they change things how do we change things mm-hmm. um and how does the church respond to that mm-hmm. and i think that so so it's just so the first two are a bit meatier the third one is more of a kind of questioning what so mm-hmm. so what what does this mean for our living and our practice together mm-hmm. um 
And I'm hoping it's been a bit of a, con a contributor to not only the debates we've had here in, in England, um, but more widely, um, moving beyond the sort of apologetic saying, well, let's look at these lines and these lines of scripture and say, well, maybe it's that's not exactly what they mean. And so on towards a much broader idea of saying, well, mm -hmm. let's imagine that there's good in LGBT relationships, because, by the way, there is. Um, <laughs> what does that tell us? Yes. What, what, and, and, and what does that make us interrogate about what we've been blithely saying for years and years mm -hmm. you know we, are we really saying that we look at a, you know a, a same-sex couple and say that that their love is bad and that their relationship is bad and that there's nothing good to come from it for me mm -hmm. that's an absurd position for us to hold but mm -hmm. it's where we end up if we're not careful with 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 so much of the kind of um main in many in many cases mainline theology yes yeah it's where we end up and it's where some people just begin you know, they yeah. just can't even tolerate the discussion. Um, yeah. I, I was I was also grateful um, at one a wedding I attended for my niece, uh, my uncle, who's a minister, who early on was definitely condemning of our friendship and our relationship mm -hmm. when I was in graduate school. But when we were at the wedding, he actually sat at the table that we were at. And over the years, he would always ask me about, you know, Sue, but he wouldn't. Mm -hmm we were not around each other. Um, but he sat at the table that we were at and he said openly at the table, you know, the more I, the more I know you and Sue together, it is, it is evidence that you guys are a perfect match. Mm -hmm. And I mm -hmm. thought, well, that's interesting. You know, and I thought, yeah, there's, exactly. there's been some growth there and I don't know where he falls theologically or how he's putting it into his head because that was not yeah. the, the place to discuss it. But no, it was exactly. like, wow, over time and because we've just been consistently loving and together and we've weathered divorce, you know, that, yeah. that we've not been divorced and many of my <laughs> siblings are, you know, have and it's like, yeah, 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 quite. Exactly. They're the winners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There. yeah. But isn't that it? I mean, that's one of the key things I think I'm arguing in the book, that actually, eventually that cognitive dissonance, that inability yes. to hold together two contradictory things becomes impossible. Yeah. You know, if you're, you're saying that same-sex relationships are bad by their very nature, and yet mm -hmm. you then see same-sex relationships which are self-evidently yes. and obviously good. Yes. And how do you, that, that is, and what I then try and do in the book is kind of hold the feet of, of the kind of theological arguments to the fire a bit and say, right. look, how do you do your theology when you're rejecting everything we know mm -hmm. and everything we know scientifically and experientially and everything else? How do you, how do you hold on to that theology? Yeah. And are you really doing your thinking deep enough? Because otherwise mm -hmm. you're ending up saying, Despite everything that we can see and know, God <laughs> still thinks that's bad. And it, that, that for me just doesn't make any sense. Exactly. And if it was that important, you know, and I've, I've, I've made this argument as well. You know, you guys say that we're part of the Jesus movement, that Jesus was the one to follow, that he's the Christ, that, they, that that's why we're Christians, even though he mm. never was Christian. He was yeah. Hebrew, by the way, yeah. <laughs> and not blonde yeah. and blue eyed. Thank you yeah, very exactly. much. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so you got it wrong from the beginning, people, just with your white culture and fragility. So yeah, yeah <laughs> so quite on board. Um, and he was not ever the one that said you have to be this denomination and you have to believe this other than love your neighbor, yeah. you know, love your love your God. And and that settles it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And he never once spoke about homosexuality, which mm. wasn't even introduced in the definition that they have now until 1946. 
And it wasn't even supposed to be same-sex homosexuality loving relationships. That's not the word. But nobody wants to hear it, Charlie. Nobody wants to hear it. (laughs) But we'll keep saying it, it, and we'll say it, and we'll say it. (laughs) Exactly. And that's the way. If they keep, But in a sense, they keep saying it and saying it and saying it, and it's become folklore. In a yes. Sense that, well, yeah, the Bible <laughs> condemns homosexuality. Well, let's just do the same. I mean, keep yeah. saying the same thing. Eventually, exactly. People have to listen, I think. Exactly. Well, what what do you think is the the likelihood that the Church of England can soften on this matter? I think it will do. Um, okay. I think we've got to a place where even um, even bishops with a non affirming theology are recognizing that this can't continue. Uh-huh. Um, we had um, uh, Desmond Tutu's uh, daughter in the mm. UK not that long ago, and she was invited to come and um, to come and uh, do the funeral service mm. uh, for her godfather at his mm. request, mm. and she wasn't allowed to do so because she is in a same-sex marriage. Oh my goodness! And really? that has really ignited mm-hmm. a lot of difficulties because people are suddenly saying this has this is that's i mean it, it, reputationally that's a disaster um but also clearly it's unjust mm-hmm. um and so i think we're going to see some liberalization coming in the new year um february is the time that's when decisions are going to be made we've had a long process of discussion and discernment i think if we don't see change come in february we're never going to see change come but i think Mm. we're going to see something change i can't i don't think that it's it's remotely possible for us to continue the current situation for any longer Mm. well i i hope that that's exactly what happens i i I really i i I didn't ever know about the lambeth conference and and i just recently in 2019 came into the episcopal church after years and years Mm -hmm. of being away from church Mm -hmm. altogether um and have been just so edified by the support and the love mm. that the church can can give me now. It wasn't always that way. They had their own break. Um, yes. And yeah. not all Episcopal churches are affirming here, although they're all. No, no, absolutely. To yeah. be, but they're not. And um, so, <clears throat> but I I just thought during the Lambeth conference that it's, it, it almost felt like we were going so, so much back in time, but for you guys, you you're not going back in time this is real time for you yeah and i thought it was i didn't understand it when our bishops went over i thought that it was going to affect somehow i thought that this whole lambeth conference would affect the united states and how our episcopal church handled gay people and i was quickly educated that oh no it has nothing to do with us and we're oh going yeah no exactly <laughs> they don't always like us at the table they said because we stir things up but we're going and uh <laughs> so I, I was i was glad that it wouldn't affect the united states in that way but we still have our own issues here for sure it's not done here in the united states and this conversation will continue for whoever yeah. knows how long but um yeah. but progress has been made and i think that just like with christian nationalism and everything else that we're dealing with in the states you know we absolutely have to continue to speak it out loud yeah call it out do not go silent because silence will continue to bury us as a community and as as christians we have to find that that other christian voice (laughs) Uh, uh, we had a fill-in priest one time when our our priest could not be there because of an illness and um she said i want to get a t-shirt that says i'm a christian and on the back it'll say the other kind (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> because you know Christians speak out of so many different mouths, and some of it's yeah. bigotry and hatred, and and it yeah. has nothing to do with Christianity as as Jesus would have spoken it if he was yeah. labeled a Christian. That's not what he was about, and yeah, we exactly. have to continue to speak the words that Jesus would have spoken and liberate people from being excluded. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree, and that's. And that's the challenge, isn't it? It's the challenge of yes. not being complacent. It's the challenge yes. of not letting things drop and constantly being on guard and constantly yes. taking our own experience um, and ensuring that other minority groups are not facing similar, you know, discrimination or prejudice yes. from either within or without the church. There's yes. so much work to do. Mm. Um, but no, um, I, I hope I hope England will will be seeing at least a modest move towards being mm. a better kind of church. Mm. Um, and if that's what we see in February, that will be a great thing, I think. It will. It will. Well, oh, I'm so glad you got here. I'm so glad that we're <laughs> able to meet in person. And I just, you know, I love your Twitter account. I love the things that you have done in the past with that. And I just, I just love the idea that you're in this world and that you're continuing to live your truth and that I can't yeah. wait to get this book. Um, I, I think it's just going to be brilliant to have that as a resource and I have a book club that I'm a part of and I can't oh, wait great. to yeah, pitch yeah. it to them. And yeah, it, yeah. It, it's going to be a great, um, it's going to be a great tool to be able yeah. to use and to, to get into the meat of what you're talking about. So as we wind down, is there, is there anything we've not touched on as far as your story or your faith journey that you would like to, to bring out and to discuss? Mm. No, I mean, I think it's, I, I think ultimately I've been very lucky um, mm -hmm. in terms of not having faced the difficulty. And sometimes that can be a problem because you, or certainly not faced it in terms of my own internal understanding. You face the external opposition at times, which I face a lot of, and you just get used to it. Um, but the internal opposition I've never faced, which has mm -hmm. been which has been great. Mm -hmm. And I think in a sense, it's just holding up the reality of the lives that we live, which are entirely grace filled. You know, mm -hmm. we all make mistakes. We all do terrible things. We all do. You know, that's life. Mm -hmm. That's what every human being does. But mm -hmm. they are just as grace filled as any heterosexual life. Mm -hmm. um and for me that's something to be very thankful for and something and 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 my kind of my driving force is that whilst there are still people for whom the church makes that impossible um the job is not done and mm -hmm. so I, I that's that's what drives me still to to mm -hmm. make a difference and it makes me unpopular with those in authority and it does all that kind of stuff but i don't mind because mm -hmm. that's that's what we're called to do i think as christians mm -hmm. yeah it's our own mission field <laughs> yeah, exactly. really for sure exactly for so. sure yeah. well that's just brilliant so my final question to to my guest is usually what is one thing you would share with someone who is struggling and you didn't go through the struggle but in your own work um are you finding that that the gay issue comes up in some of your work with people because of the way the Church of England has made that stance. And and if you do, what what is something you like to to say to those folks that you work with in order to be able to give them some peace of mind? Yeah, I mean, I think I do. The, the worst thing I see is people who won't even think about the church because mm -hmm. of its position on this and uh -huh. just won't walk through the door. Got it. Um, 
but I also see damaged people. The people I see in my psychiatric practice who have got issues with sexuality, it's mm. not that they have a problem with being, um, or it's not that they're, they're sort of, there's, that there's an issue with their sexuality itself. It's an issue with discrimination or prejudice against it. Yes. 99 out of 100 times. Yeah. And the church is part of that, very mm-hmm. frequently part of that. Um, mm-hmm. So I would say, I think my, my key kind of take home for people is that just because someone tells you something doesn't mean it's the case. Mm-hmm. And there are plenty of places and plenty of different valid and life-giving perspectives on sexuality to go and look at and read and understand and talk through and so on. Mm-hmm. And just because someone says the Bible's very clear on something doesn't mean that it is. Um, it's one of the great joys of the Reformation was to go and to give us the option to go and read the Bible ourselves. And mm-hmm. um, and even if even if people come from a stable where it feels very uncomfortable, I'd really encourage them to go and go and do some work, go and do the reading, go and go and have a look, because you may well find something much more life-giving um, that's in the hands of someone who isn't uh, a straight white man. Um, <laughs> you, might find, you might find that there's actually a, a very interesting side to, to the Christian faith, which you'd never believe was possible. Yes. Yes. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for that. And thank you, Charlie, for being here today. I really, really Pleasure. value you and I appreciate you. So thank you for honoring us with your story. Okay, thanks. You're welcome. And I want to thank you listeners for coming back each week, supporting, sharing, and subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to see more information and links to connect with Dr. Bell, Charlie, go to Gay With God show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. If you are listening to this podcast and are questioning whether you can be gay and be in a relationship with the God of your understanding, if you identify as LGBTQIA+, or maybe not even sure if you're gay yet, God has always been within you. Even when you didn't know it, you have always been gay with God. Check out our Facebook group, Gay With God, where we do a monthly Zoom group entitled My Faith Journey. If you need support to help you through your coming out or faith journey, go to the show page at empoweredmidge.podbean.com. Scroll all the way down to the bottom and see how you can connect with me. Thank you, everybody. Stay tuned to see how you can join the Gay With God community. And remember, this Thursday, November 3rd, you haven't missed it yet because this is like relevant. November 3rd, November uh, November 3rd at 7 p.m., I'm doing my cover reveal for my memoir, Gay With God, Reclaiming My Faith, Honoring My Story. See you next week, guys. Love you. I want to invite you to become a part of the Gay With God community. How can you do that? Stay connected by messaging me your thoughts and comments in the comment section under the downloads of the show on the Gay With God show page. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen and share, share, share so we can increase our community outreach and be a light to those who are struggling to claim their faith. Consider being a sponsor so I can highlight your service in our community. We are all worthy of respect and a relationship with the God of our understanding. I want to thank you in advance for supporting this podcast. Together, we as a community will keep this show visible and our community stronger. Deep gratitude to my friend Tim McClendon of Tim McClendon Music for allowing me to use an excerpt from Interlude 4, a song found on his CD entitled Sundance.